I'm Polly. I'm a mom, a wife, a pelvic floor physical therapist, and founder of No Kegels University. I have helped thousands of women stop leaking, enjoy intimacy, and feel proud of their bodies, even after having kids. After years of listening to women wonder why no one talks about leaking, how they should properly recover after having a baby, and that pleasurable intimacy is possible, I started to get real frustrated because I believe that no mom or woman should struggle when there are answers. It became my mission to shed light on the lack of postpartum care and the lack of discussion on issues that relate to women and their health, even if they can be uncomfortable sometimes. It also became my mission to change the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more. Here we go. Episode 12, the top three things you need to do if you leak. Now, I don't know if you're like me and leakage happens, oh, I don't know, once a year or something, or if you're not like me and leakage happens a lot more than that. Maybe leakage happens when you cough, when you laugh, when you sneeze, when you jump, when you exercise, Maybe it happens when you're sick and you have a bad cough and you're coughing and coughing and coughing. Maybe you're in two different camps of ideas on this. I think you might be in the camp where, oh yeah, it's totally normal to leak after you have kids. Of course, my pelvic floor is trashed. I had kids, right? Or the other camp where, no way, your pelvic floor is a muscle. Your muscle should be strong. Your muscles should help you when they're supposed to. They have a function to serve. And if I'm leaking, then that's my body's way of saying, hmm, we have some work to do. Now, I know I'm probably being a little silly about it when I present it this way, but I've been doing this work for over 12 years and it never ceases to amaze me that the majority of people that I talk to they're in the first camp that they just assume that's what their life is going to be. And I talked with a gal in the DMs a while ago and she asked me, okay, how serious are you? I know you're probably trying to sell us stuff. And she went on about some other things, but she said, is is this really possible? I need you to be honest with me in your answer. And Initially, I was like, oh my gosh, she just thinks I'm not being honest on Instagram. But then it really hit me. This is not even a possibility for her brain to even conceive. The idea of having hope that she might not leak again, it's its its not even an option for her. And that really broke my heart. And it did because without sounding prideful on this, I can help almost anyone with their leakage. It At this point for me, because I've been doing this so long, and again, not to seem prideful or anything of that nature, but it really is an easy thing for me to help you with. It really is. And for me, because it is so easy, I think it still baffles me that so many women just assume that's the way it's going to be when they can fix it, 
and it's a pretty easy fix. So today what I wanted to do was one, hopefully instill some hope in you, especially if this title caught your attention, to give you some hope that it is possible. But also I want to give you three things that you can do today to be on the road of stopping leaking. Now, when I listen to podcasts and I see all the top three things, I am that weirdo that has a pen and paper and I am taking notes. And when I walk away, I think, oh, well, that just was a waste of however long that podcast was. They weren't real actionable steps. But what I these actionable steps that I have for you today, plus a bonus fourth at the end, is I want you to be able to start doing them right away. In fact, while I'm talking about them today, during this episode, if you're not driving, well, maybe one of them you could, but you could be doing some of these things while I'm talking to you about them. So I wanted this to be incredibly actionable for you because I always get annoyed at those clickbait titles, but these are, these are some of the very same things that I share with my patients in the clinic and some of the very same things that I have my coaching clients do. So let's get to it. The first, I want you to quit tightening your tummy and holding it tight. So I'm with you. I am loving this current trend of these high-waisted pants, high-waisted leggings that hold all the little extra in especially as holiday season is upon us. But the thing with it is that it's kind of teaching us to pull our belly buttons back to our spine. I'm sure you've heard this before in some type of context. And it's so frustrating to me because you're interfering with your breath and your breath actually influences your pelvic floor. So let me explain this a little bit differently. I like to think of our diaphragm all the way down to our pelvic floor like an accordion. I'm sure the picture of an accordion or somebody walking around playing an accordion with romantic music or something maybe popped into your brain, but that's what I want you to think about. So as you're playing the accordion, one one side shifts down and then the other side will shift back up as they're compressing it and release, compressing it and lengthening it and compressing it and lengthening it. And our body and our breath does the same thing, but obviously there's not going to be as much visible movement as there is in that accordion. So your diaphragm sits directly underneath your lungs and at the very bottom of your rib cage. And then below your diaphragm, you have all of your guts, your intestines, your organs. There's a lot actually. And then underneath all of that is your pelvic floor. So as you inhale, as your lungs fill, your diaphragm moves downward. Remember, think of that accordion. And then that presses on your guts and your guts should move downward and then your pelvic floor should follow. But also part of this with as you inhale, your belly should blow up as well. And then when you exhale, the belly, rather than being blown up, it almost deflates back down 
as your guts return to their starting position as your lungs deflate, so to speak. So I want you to think of that like an accordion. So as you inhale, everything drops. As you exhale, everything rises. And your belly, your abdominal muscles should be free to blow up and expand and then deflate. Deflate might not be the best word, but that seems to be the best cue word that I've noticed in the clinic. So if you don't like that word, choose something else that maybe resonates with you a little bit more. But the reason that this is important, that your breath plays such a big role, is if you're running around pulling your belly button to your spine, and I know, I know, so many people coach you to do this, and I also think it's kind of in the back of our minds that we want our bellies to be flat, so we, we do kind of run around with our bellies pulled in, so I want you to let that go. The reason being, I just walked you through what should be happening naturally and physiologically. That pelvic floor doesn't have the opportunity to move out of the way as you inhale and your lungs expand, the diaphragm drops, and your organs drop to push on that pelvic floor. That pelvic floor needs that input. And a lot of times if that's not happening, the pelvic floor doesn't get proper input from the nerves and proper input to do the job that it's supposed to, like squeezing against our urethra so we're not leaking. So it's interesting that something as silly as this, it it packs a much bigger punch than what you might imagine. And oftentimes I will get a follow-up question after I explain this. Well, Maybe I hold everything in or I hold my belly button tight so that I don't leak. And I know that that might seem that that is the correct route to go, but take it from me. I've been helping women for over 12 years. This is how the pelvic floor functions. It needs proper input. It needs to lengthen. It needs to drop. It needs to move. So that's the first thing. Let your belly go and breathe and breathe deeply. The second thing is I want you to think about posture, but I'm going to explain it a little bit differently than maybe you've heard it before. Just the other day, we found an old Jenga game. Do you guys know what game I'm talking about? You take three rectangular blocks, you stack them on the bottom, you take three more rectangular blocks, and then you stack them on top of those but a different direction. And eventually you do this until you've used all the blocks and you have the tall tower. The premise of the game is one person at a time takes a block from the stack and moves it to the top. And as you can imagine, as each person is taking their turn playing this game, the reason that it falls is because it starts to lean. If you haven't ever played this game, as you're you're essentially building this tower higher and higher and higher, and because you're missing out on some of the bottom pieces, you can imagine how the top becomes a little bit heavier and it starts to shift one way, it starts to shift the other way. And the problem with that is it's not stacked all directly on top of each other like it was in the very beginning. You're taking pieces and adding to the top, you're taking pieces and adding to the top. And 
what I've observed when people talk about posture that, oh, you just need to pull your shoulders back or lift your chest, you're missing out on really the foundational pieces of this. Think of the Jenga game, how you start, everything is stacked in a very linear, in a very vertical position. So I want you to think of your posture the same way. You can influence your posture without doing anything with your shoulders, without lifting your sternum. I want you to think about stacking your rib cage directly on top of your pelvis. Now, if you go to look at yourself in the mirror, especially from the side, if you've been pregnant for any length of time or pregnant at all, a lot of times our rib cage almost points to the front of you rather than being directly stacked on top. So some people will say, oh, my rib cage got bigger. Possibly, but a lot of times because our belly and that sweet baby almost pulls us forward during pregnancy, it kind of pulls or tips our rib cage forward as well. The bottom of it, if you will. So by taking that rib cage, think of the very rounded bottom part of that rib cage. I'm sure you probably have your hands on the bottom of the rib cage and you're feeling for that angle, that almost oval circular section there. It should sit directly on top of your pelvis, meaning that if you take your hands at the bottom of your rib cage, that the most circular part, the rounded part, and you drop straight down, you should hit directly on top of your pelvis. But a lot of times, again, because of pregnancy, that rib cage is shifted forward. So if we drew a straight line, it would end up being several feet in front of us rather than being that straight line at the bottom of that rib cage down into your pelvis. I do think this is best illustrated when you look to the side of you and look at at how you're oriented in a mirror. And sometimes if you take different pictures or videos, you might be able to figure it out. One great way to tell if you have yourself stacked, if you will, is if you can inhale and it's really easy. In fact, it's easier to take a breath in this position than maybe the positions you've been in before. And the reason being, just like the first tip I talked about, it allows that pressure to be given into that pelvic floor without any problems, without any interference, and with the proper angle, the downward motion that we're after. Now, some people will say, what in the world does posture have to do with my pelvic floor and leaking? But as I talked about how that rib cage is angled forward, you have to think that because your whole body is connected, there's also an influence into your pelvis. Now, to talk about the bottom side of this posture, a lot of people will say, oh, I just have to tilt my pelvis back and then I have good posture. I just need to get rid of the arch in my spine or the arch in my low back. And while Obviously, each person very well might be different as to the type of posture correction that they might need. I would still argue to say that attempting to start your posture correction from your rib cage down to your pelvic floor is the better way. 
because getting that rib cage stacked on top of your pelvis, remember your spine attaches to your rib cage. Your spine attaches to your pelvis. So the spine is going to follow what you're doing with your rib cage versus attempting trying to move your pelvis and then walking around trying to hold that pelvis in the new position. The rib cage is going to be much easier. And as I talked about earlier, as that rib cage can be angled forward, it places more stress on the front of the pelvic floor than if you were in a stacked position. So what I mean by this is if you're, and let's just exaggerate this posture so that you have an idea. If you're wandering around and your belly is stuck way out in front of you and you have a huge arch in your back, a lot of your weight, a lot of your pressure is now directed over the top of your urethra and your vaginal opening where there's going to be more stress and more work for that pelvic floor to do rather than putting those muscles and those joints in your body in a more optimal position so that these muscles can function efficiently. I will say that sometimes this one takes a little while and I'll even caution you I don't want you to walk around and try to keep yourself stacked at every moment of the entire day because our bodies are designed to move in and out of different positions. We're not designed to be robots and be very robotic in our movements. So if you happen to catch yourself that you're out of this stacked position, then just put yourself back and go from there and continue on. The other tip I'll give you here too is think about your rib cage almost as if somebody is going to grab a hold of it with a crane from the very top, lift it up, and then push it back and down so it gets stacked on top of that rib cage. Sometimes I even like to think that I have to lift my rib cage up, tip it back, and then lock it down and click. And the reason I like to think of that click is because Once you have it figured out and it becomes a little easier, that click almost lets my brain know that that's where I need to stay or at least stay for a good chunk of the time. And again, I don't know if I can stress this enough. Posture takes a while to improve, but the one thing that I've noticed in my 12 years of trying various posture techniques and corrections This rib cage stacked on top of the pelvis has given my patients better results. It's easier to teach. And while the learning curve might be a little bit higher, I promise you it's a lot less stressful than the ways in which I used to teach it very early on in my career. And tip number three, add more vertical movement to your exercises or physical activity, however you do things. So I think a lot of times we are really nervous to, I don't know, poke the bear and do more vertical motion like jumping or go to a fitness, like a group fitness class or something. And while I'm not saying, yeah, go all out and jump, jump, jump until you leak, what I mean is, is Pull your intensity, pull your effort way down, back way off. 
do the vertical activities that you can where you aren't leaking and then slowly build from there. So one of the guidelines I give my patients and my coaching clients is that they they need to add more vertical activity in. And if you're new here and you're not familiar with my method, VAB3, V stands for vertical. And that vertical motion, that's when our pelvic floor works. And so we're going to use the way in which our body already works to our advantage and to our benefit. So the caveat that I'll add to this is I don't want you crossing threshold. Threshold is leaking. So what I want you to do is I want you to start with lower intensity vertical activities. So maybe you kind of jump in place, but it's slower. It's not as high. Or maybe you're on a trampoline and you're gently, gently bouncing on that trampoline. Get really good at these smaller efforts, smaller intensity vertical activities for a longer period of time and then start trying to figure out where that threshold lies. So sometimes you can do this in the form of reps. So I have some patients that are that they will say, well, I really want to be able to do jumping jacks in my workout classes. I think I'm the only one. I promise you, you're not the only one in your class that can't do jumping jacks because of leakage. You'd be surprised how many have different tips and tricks that they're doing just so that nobody finds out. So this one particular gal, when she was doing jumping jacks, I said, okay, so rather, I said, I'm, I'm fine if you do jumping jacks. I want you to slow down the speed and I want you to slow how far out you jump your feet. And when you bring your feet back together or when you jump your feet back together, slow it down. So I told her, I want you to think about your sweet grandma trying to do jumping jacks. What might it look like? And I want you to mimic that. And so that's what she started with. And she worked on that for about a week or two, which could be different. It just really depends on the person. But she did that for a week or two. And then she messaged me and I said, okay, well, let's increase that a little bit. Let's have you increase the speed and not change anything else and go from there. So she did that for a week, had no leakage. So then I said, okay, keep the speed the same, but I want you to now jump your feet even further because remember at this point, I said, don't jump as far. Her feet were barely going out. It barely looked like a jumping jack, she would say. And so then we slowly increased different variables until she was doing jumping jacks and it wasn't a problem for her. Of course, we added lots of other things. That wasn't the only component to her pelvic floor strengthening program. But the thing is, is that we know your pelvic floor is working anytime you jump up and down, anytime your body experiences vertical motion. But we also have to do enough activity where we can work the muscle for it to be stronger. But we also have to do it in a way that these muscles, our pelvic floor muscles, aren't getting so tired that they can't do their job. And for the bonus tip, this is the part that a lot of people miss. And if you happen to have had an episiotomy or a tear with birth, I want you to start working on your scar. The interesting thing about scar tissue is that while it's lovely, otherwise we would still have a gaping wound, 
The thing is, is that it acts a lot like super glue and it can inhibit your muscles from moving. And if you've picked up anything from today's podcast, we have to work those muscles in order for them to be strong. But if those muscles aren't moving, then they really don't have a fighting chance of getting strong. I hope that makes sense. If you check the show notes, I have an entire presentation that I would love to share for you. If you check the show notes, I'd love to send you my presentation on how to manage your scar tissue for free. And if you're still in need of some help after that, I would love for you to schedule a pelvic floor strategy call with me because at the end of that, you'll have at least a month's worth of pelvic floor exercises, as well as at least three strategies that are specific to you and your body. Remember, you're an heiress and a queen in everything in between. If you enjoyed this episode or even wondered if I can help you, check the show notes for more details. And to see what else I'm up to, follow me on the socials at Beyond the V, period, by Polly. Because I'm changing the conversation on women's health, the pelvic floor, and more, I still need your help. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend or two. See you next week.